0: the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin. Today, we'll be talking about the very important topic of infant nutrition in an episode sponsored by my friends at Cabrita USA. My guest is a wealth of information on pediatric nutrition. She's a board-certified naturopathic doctor, who previously served on the faculty at the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine and held research positions at several hospitals. She's been published in print and online publications, and she's been featured on radio and television programs as an expert on child nutrition. She's currently the Senior Manager, Medical Engagement and Education at Cabrita USA, and she's a mother of two. Dr. Annie Salzberg, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: I'm so happy you're here.
1: I'm really happy to be here too.
0: Uh, you know so much about infant nutrition, and um, you also have a lot of heart and passion uh, about infant nutrition. And so I know we're going to learn a lot. I'm going to learn a lot from you, and our listeners are going to learn a lot today too. My goal in this episode is to empower parents with information that will help them make informed and confident feeding choices for their growing families. Uh, a lot of our patients, when they get to this stage, uh, I think they realize they put a lot of effort into getting ready for the birth itself, and then when the little human comes out, they freak out about not knowing how to care for it. So um, nutrition is a big one. We want to feed our kids. We want to make sure that they have enough nutrition, the right nutrition, and uh, sometimes there's there's choices to make, and it's hard to make them without this type of information. So we have a lot to c- cover. Let's jump right in.
1: Okay, sounds great.
0: We all know that good nutrition is critical during the first year of life, and there's a couple of options on how to deliver it to a child. Um, basically, we have breast milk and formula. So let's talk about breast milk first. What are the recommendations from the various global national agencies about feeding a child breast milk?
1: So the recommendations from uh, the leading agencies, um, so you mentioned, or uh, I would mention like the WHO, the World Health Organization, or UNICEF, or the American Academy of Pediatrics, the AAP. They all have very similar recommendations. So what they encourage um, is what they call exclusive breastfeeding for the first six months of a baby's life. And then then from there, they encourage um, ongoing breastfeeding um, beyond six months for as long as what they call mutually um, desired and um, works for both mother and child. Mm-hmm. So, really, um, especially the WHO talks about breastfeeding to two years and even beyond. Um, that's the recommendation. Um, what we know Mixed with
0: other forms of nutrition. Absolutely,
1: of course. So, it would be exclusive breastfeeding until f- four to six months and then introducing complementary foods, but then really as long as is um, mutually desired beyond that. They don't really say you should stop at any point. Well, there's course,
0: no, no end point. It gets awkward in college.
1: <laughs> there, there, there have been cases. Lunch <laughs> <yes>. break, mom. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But no, so they definitely encourage um, ongoing breastfeeding where possible. Mm-hmm. Um, we do know, however, that the statistics um, are not really reflecting those recommendations. Um, the Center for Disease Control, the CDC, they put out what they call the breastfeeding report card. Mm-hmm. Um I'll be honest, I'm not sure if it's an annual report or every other year. Um, The numbers I have, I believe, are from 2016. And they have some really interesting information there. Folks can go onto the CDC website. They can look for this information themselves. And what the CDC does is they report on national rates of breastfeeding um, as well as individual states. So it's really quite interesting to look at. And so what we know from the CDC is that almost 50% of women are no longer breastfeeding at six months um at all at all, mm. at all.
0: here in um, the united states
1: here in the united states that's a national average and we know that by about one year postpartum so when most women have their 12, 12 month old um there's only about 20% 20 to 30% who are still breastfeeding at all oh wow yeah yeah so 70% of women are not breastfeeding by one year of age no kidding mm-hmm.
0: and do you think that's because mother wh- why is that
1: I think that's a great question, and I think it's one of those really tricky and complex um,
0: well, what topics are the, some to address. Of the contributing factors?
1: Yeah, so I think that um, breastfeeding is, a, is, you know, it's a really personal decision, and I think that every woman—I um, can speak for myself personally—as you said, I have two children. I work at a company that's right now all made up of women, and we've all had our own experiences and our own journeys with feeding postpartum. Um, so I've seen it firsthand. I've seen it with my patients. I've seen it with my colleagues. I've heard from our consumers. Um, and then I've read the research. So there's lots of different reasons. We know that one of the main reasons why women will stop breastfeeding early, what they call early cessation, cessation of breastfeeding, is um, con- is um, related to a, a perception that their breast milk supply is not adequate mm-hmm. or that their baby's not satisfied. Um, but again, that's one of many, many, many reasons. Um, they really say it's very multifactorial. We know that certain women in diff- certain demographics or age groups have, um, other factors that may contribute to them either not being able to breastfeed or not wanting to breastfeed. There could be an underlying health issue or concern, a medical condition. Um, There could be psychological factors. Certainly women who have experienced um, either uh, abuse or domestic violence are less likely to breastfeed. Um, I
0: feel like the bulk of our patients end up going back to work after three to five months. Yeah. And for whatever percentage that is, a lot of them feel like, I don't think I can do this anymore once I go back to work.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's just one more of those many, many factors that can contribute. Um, you know, myself and our team, we're based up in Canada. We know our back-to-work Um Back to work for many of us is different, I know, than for many uh, American, yeah, U.S.-based yeah, women, exactly. Yeah. Um, but absolutely, the returning to work within either six weeks postpartum, four months postpartum, as you said, three to five months, is a, is a huge contributor. I think that um, you know, having the protected space to pump, um, store breast milk safely, adequately, the freedom of time and movement, et cetera, it, it all creates challenges for continuing that breastfeeding until that six-month postpartum mark.
0: So – there are some people who don't breastfeed from the beginning. They either choose not to, or for one reason or another, they're not able to. Yeah. Um, and so there's luckily there's formula that we can give babies, and formula's become quite advanced over the past several years. Um, I think in the latter portion of the podcast, we'll talk about what's in formula. Mm-hmm. Um, but first, let's talk about what's in breast milk.
1: Yeah. yeah, so breast milk's considered, and it really is the gold standard of infant nutrition, um whenever I talk about breast milk, I talk about it as being complex and dynamic. And I use those words because it's, you know, there's still a lot we don't know about breast milk. Uh, we know a lot about breast milk, but we certainly don't know everything. And one of the most amazing parts of breast milk, as we know, is that it changes as the baby grows and develops. It um, responds to baby's needs. So that's why I use the word dynamic, because it's changing and evolving and, um, and meeting the, the needs of a little one as they get older.
0: So to a degree, the same producer of breast milk will have different breast milk, let's say, when their baby is two months versus five months. Absolutely. And even at two months on different days, whatever the baby's sort of demanding, the breast milk will change one way or another to meet that demand.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So
0: then for sure, if you take 10 women who are breastfeeding, you have different formulas, so to speak, of milk.
1: I think that's uh, that is uh, that is correct. But I will say that there are, um, you know, if we consider breast milk as its whole, you know, I, I like to consider it, and I'm I'm using sort of very general, uh, g- I'm generalizing a little bit, but I like to consider breast milk in three main chunks. So I consider it as being full of what I call macronutrients. Okay. So those would be the the proteins, um, that would be the carbohydrates, that would be the fats. That the second sort of general part of breast milk, for lack of a better word, would be, you know, what we call micronutrients. So those would be the vitamins, those would be the minerals. Um, And then the third big part of breast milk, which is that really complex, um, that really dynamic part, that part that changes a lot, is um, what we call those growth factors, hormone factors, immune factors. Those are the parts of the breast milk that will change in response to a growth spurt by your baby, for example. Those are the parts of breast milk that will respond if your little one's sick. It's um, produce, you know, immune-supporting factors, etc. Um, so that is really unique. That changes. Um, that is probably influenced, uh, I imagine, by diet, by environment, um, by baby's needs. That's really unique.
0: Even what, the immune elements it absolutely. depends on what what antigens are around you. That's right. And what antibodies you'll make and pass on. That's right. In response.
1: But when but it comes to the, there's the macro no artificial and artificial
0: color and no artificial flavor. No,
1: there's none of those sort of MSG additives yeah. that we typically would see in other foods, but we but when it comes to the macro and the micronutrients, um there's not as much variation as you might think. Of course, there's going to be small you know discrepancies. Not ever is going to when I say everybody, I mean literally everybody mm-hmm. is going to produce slightly different milk uh, depending on the time of day, whether it's uh, the early part of a breastfeed or the la- you know the end part of breastfeeding. But for the most part, there's some generalizations we can make about those macronutrients mm-hmm. and the micronutrients. And now I think a lot of scientists have a pretty good idea of what an average M- uh, nutrient profile would look like in breast fil- Right. So bre- breast those milk. same
0: 10 women that I was talking about will have variations in their milk, mm-hmm. but they also have the overwhelming majority of the milk is similar. That's right. It's got the same, similar yeah, break, right. uh, makeup.
1: I think that's a fair generalization.
0: Although you do see on on Facebook sometimes, at least if you're a doula, you see people posting their pump milk and uh, comparing the creaminess.
1: Yes. Yeah. No, there's always going to be variations. And- um and and I think that's that's to be that's to be expected. But I think that again, just individual women will will also produce different quantities, different different amounts of fat, et cetera, in their breast milk.
0: Quantities for sure. Yes, and, quantities uh, for sure. Some people quote unquote overproduce or underproduce, and there are things that you can do, I think, to change that, mm-hmm. to influence that as well. So um, you said proteins, carbs, and fats. Yeah. Do we? Compared to other animals, have different types of protein, or different types of carbs, or different types of fats?
1: Um, uh, y- yes and no. Can I give two answers to that? Sure. So, you know, uh, breast milk is is its own it's its own type of milk, so it's a it's a it's a little bit different than other types of milk. And so, when I think of protein, for example. Um, we can broadly, so I'm going to get a little nerdy on you here. Sure. We can think of milk broadly, um, and this would be for breast milk. This would be for cow milk or goat milk. Um, let's let's talk about goat milk after. But <laughs> when we can broadly think of, broadly, rather think of the proteins as being divided into what we call whey proteins okay. and casein proteins. People often talk about whey and casein as being. You know, when they think of whey. You know, I'm going to have a whey protein powder. Well, actually, whey is is really more of a group of proteins. It's not a single protein necessarily. So, all mammalian milk, or at least breast milk and goat milk, cow milk, for example, are are made up of these whey proteins and these casein proteins. And
0: all the milks have both kinds of. They protein.
1: do. They okay. do. Now, this again, some one of your listeners will say, "Oh, but X, Y, or Z animal doesn't have that." So, so I'm not going to say every My single listeners one. I might probably say X, Y, or Z <laughs> animal doesn't have one.
0: Fair enough.
1: <laughs> but what we will see are differences in the types of whey, case, whey proteins in these various milks and the okay. types of casein proteins. So you'll see some, you'll see variations, which is why, um, you know, breast milk will lack some of the whey or casein proteins that are found in other milks and vice versa. They will, you know, um, goat milk, for example, may lack some of the casein or whey proteins found in cow milk. So none of these milks are exactly the same. The proportion of the caseins or the whey's may vary or they may be lacking.
0: But within a species?
1: Within us, well, that that's where it gets even trickier because again, there's breeds, mm-hmm. and so uh, I, I can't speak um, about all about all, every goat milk breed, but I can tell you that uh, the, the breed that we use um, for cabrita, which is predominantly the what's called the Saanen breed, um, of goats, of goats, S A A N E N Saanen, Sonnen, um, does not produce a type of casein that is. Known to be produced in most cow milk, cow milk, mm-hmm. uh, so it's lacking a casein called alpha s one casein. So, other breeds of goat may contain this ty- this type of casein. So, it, it it is it is not always generalizable even within a species within an animal breed. Yeah, oh.
0: yeah. You definitely got nerdy there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> which is great. Um, and then what about the carbs and fats?
1: Sure. So the carbs within breast milk is, is really, really interesting. It's such a fascinating area of research. Um, the primary, the main, however you want to say it, the, the, the main carbohydrate in breast milk is lactose. Um, and I think what's so What I love, I I love lactose. I want people to love lactose again. There's been a real, um, you know, you know, let's move against lactose campaign. I think a lot of of us. Intolerance. Yeah, I think as you know, what we know is that as as folks get older, um, our capacity for many of us, you know, myself included here, um, our capacity to to digest and, and consume lactose containing foods really diminishes. We get tummy aches, we get tummy troubles, gassy, bloated, you, you name it. Um, and so when we think of little ones, like babies, we think, oh, maybe lactose isn't so good for them. Um, but it's the main source of energy and fuel in breast milk.
0: So, but because, I assume it's because we're not, like other species, don't really drink milk as they grow up. They don't eat cereal. Right. But uh, they don't drink milk as they grow up. So you start to naturally... Lose the ability to digest that lactose. That's right. So, babies are a lot different than adults.
1: Yeah, babies are a lot different. And, you know, in addition to the lactose supplying great fuel for the cells and for growth and development, um, there's some really interesting research coming out around um, how lactose can support the gut microbiome, Ooh. so side benefits, um, as well as calcium absorption. So, we really see that lactose as the primary carbohydrate and I'll bring it back to formula here, becomes really critical.
0: Um, it's really interesting you said because you said it supports the microbiome and there's a lot of research now on how important that gut microbiome is and for babies in particular they're just developing their normal bacterial flora that's right um, and so you're saying the sugar they, those bacteria need sugar to grow that's right and lactose is a good medium for that that's right A good supporter absolutely
1: of it feeds that good those, those that good flora
0: and then calcium absorption is part of the reason we're drinking milk is to get calcium and build bones and cartilage and uh, it's it's one thing to get it into your system. It's another thing to absorb it into the blood, and so lactose helps absorb calcium into the blood. Yep,
1: yep. It's been shown to really improve the absorption of calcium. So it's um. So it's not it's, the bad guy after all. It doesn't have to be the bad guy. And again, I, I you know I always say and and I always when I when I give talks or I chat with with. With our consumers, I say you know every child is unique. You know, so what works for one baby is not always right for another baby. But we know for most most babies, most infants are born with the innate ability to digest lactose. Mm-hmm. It's how they're born, and right? They're they're bo- they're designed. Again, there's always going to be exceptions, but they're designed to consume their mother's milk.
0: Right, and mother's milk is the yeah. the primary sugar is lactose. Yeah.
1: Which I want to add is. And just to be really clear, it's molecularly identical. There's a big fancy word there, um, regardless of source. So whether it's lactose that's found in breast milk or lactose that's found in goat milk or lactose that's found in cow milk, et cetera, it's all going to be lactose. It's it's the same. If you looked under a microscope, it's going to look the same. It looks exactly the same. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And in my ice cream. <laughs> I eat it just so I can build healthy bones.
1: That's That's good.
0: Uh, are there other sugars in there as well
1: there are yeah so there's other really important sugars and um, so they have the name human milk oligosaccharides HMOs mm-hmm. um, so those are not necessarily the primary sugars for or rather the primary source of energy or fuel that's the lactose um, and I think that you know there are a lot of really interesting and emerging emerging rather research coming out now about HMOs um, what we believe and what we what I've been reading about is um, the really important role that they play in immune health. Uh, Again, going back to what we were chatting about earlier, how um, the lactose and the uh, the HMOs uh, appear to feed the good bacteria. And so that means that they will support the gut microbiome, which, as you said, and very correctly, uh, is really, really important, especially in an infant's gut, and it's going to lay the foundation for a strong immune system.
0: Other sugars? Those are the two big ones.
1: Those are the those are the big ones. And again, uh, just to be clear, human milk oligosaccharides it's it's HMOs is not one thing. It's 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 a group. It's a group of sugars. So we're just discovering all sorts of new ones.
0: And what about fats?
1: Mm. This is one of my favorite topics. (laughs) Mine too. (laughs) (laughs) Because food just tastes better when it has fat. Um, So you know, I know you know how I was saying how you know there's going to be variances between women and their breast milk. What's really interesting is the fat in breast milk is pretty consistent. So if you look at, um, there's some interesting research where they looked at the fat or the types of fats in breast milk of women in various countries. And for the most part, regardless of diet, it was really, really similar. Um, The biggest differences, and this makes a lot of sense, um, was in the amount of DHA that they had in their breast milk.
0: What is DHA?
1: DHA, it's an important fatty acid um, that supports brain and vision and overall neurological development, um, you can get it mostly through fatty fish, fatty cold water fish. And I like to, I like to use the acronym SMASH when I think of DHA containing fish. So let's see if okay. I can remember it: sardines, okay. mackerel, Got it. anchovies, salmon, salmon, and herring.
0: herring. Yeah. I like that. It's you were just like it's all about brain development, and then you said smash. And then I said smash. <laughs>
1: and then I tried to remember it.
0: <laughs> but it worked. It you worked. must have enough DHA.
1: Lots of anchovies in your diet. That's right. Uh,
0: so there's there's that's the part that varies the most. That's the part that varies from culture the, to culture, from yeah. region to region. I
1: would say really predominant, mostly based um, on mom's diet. Mm-hmm. You know, is she eating? much fish? Is she taking a DHA supplement, um, et cetera? But again, I want to emphasize that outside of that, the fatty acids found in breast milk, because again, just like I talked about how proteins, there's a lot of little proteins, fat is just not fat. Um, When we talk about fat in breast milk, what we're really talking about are fatty acids. Mm -hmm. And breast milk um, fats, or the fatty acid profile in breast milk, um, is very specific and, um, and we know what it is. So breast milk is mostly about 30% oleic acid. It's about 25% or 20 to 25% palmitic acid.
0: Do they have different functions?
1: That's a really good question. And um, I could probably give a really long answer to that. But, you know, the palmitic acid, for example... Um, which makes up almost a quarter of the fatty acids of breast milk, um, we know that not only is it found in breast milk, it, it it's found often in a very specific structure. So that's sort of like the next level learning around fats is that what fats are in the breast milk and how are they showing up? What kind of structure are they being presented in? And what's really neat about the palmitic acid in breast milk is that because of the way it is structurally, it's Um, supporting fat absorption in the body. So babies are actually are getting more through their intestines. Um, It's also, going back to our calcium talk, it's supporting more calcium absorption. So just by the way this palmitic acid is showing up in breast milk, it is supporting nutrient absorption. It's supporting bone density. So these babies um, who are getting the palmitic acid and that right structure or the, um, optimal structure are having stronger bones, increased bone density. And we know it also helps, um, soften their stools. So they're not getting constipated. They're not having these hard stools. So fats is fascinating. Fats are fascinating, especially in breast milk and, um, what they do and what they can do for babies and, um, little ones is really, really neat.
0: It's kind of amazing that there's this whole sort of nutrition facts about breast milk that you're kind of, as you said, sort of the diet that you have will affect it to some degree. But to some degree, no matter what you eat, this is what your body's going to make. And uh, that's pretty fascinating.
1: It's unbelievable that the body can produce um, a fluid that will sustain a baby for its first six months of for its life. its first
0: six months, like completely, completely. That it has everything they need to grow all the little organs and the important structures like brain and nerve development and heart and lung development. And it's just whatever you eat, your body's going to take it and make this. That's what we've right. just sort of mapped out. That's right. Um, and also, as you mentioned, we didn't even get into, and we could probably spend hours talking about the different vitamins in there, the minerals in there, and then the other stuff that does vary a little bit from person to person. Uh, so that means that if you're going to give your baby something other than this, it's not so easy to create a replacement for breast milk or uh, or a, a tag along for uh, a friend for breast milk.
1: <laughs> it's not it, it again it's it's complex. It it meets the needs of little ones and um and it's safe. So and there's you're going also
0: – this is, by the way, just what we know. As you stated right. at the beginning, there's a lot we don't even know about breast milk. And um, that's why I assume uh, the World Health Organization and others recommend breast milk for six months exclusively. And then moving on to continuing to provide breast milk in, in addition to other nutrition uh, until everybody's over it. <laughs> um, so – if you're okay at this point, what I'd love to do is then start to talk about how do you try to model a formula after this?
1: Um, it's, you know, I think it starts with being inspired by nature, which in this case is breast milk, and then um, and then applying some rigor and some science to it. Because, again, I think, um, you know, again, as I can say as a mom – as a health professional, uh, but now, you know, fast forwarding to my time with Cabrita, you know, my perspective has, I would say, evolved and and shifted. So, you know, it starts with being inspired by the gold standard. And then overlaid on that is, as I just said, the the rigor, the science, the research, and the safety. Um, and, and you know, that is truly one of the core values at Cabrita that we have, which is to bring Something high quality, but something that's safe, and that is appropriate and suitable. Um, but again, uh, you know, we talked earlier about those key attributes in breast milk, the protein, the carb, the fat. So in in our estimation, um, a wonderful baby formula uh, will be modeled after those key attributes mm-hmm. uh, to the best of a formula's ability, of course.
0: Where do you start?
1: <laughs> well, we think it starts with protein.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, so we let's use... start with... First of all, I do. I just, just want to say that breastfeeding is, is a very personal thing. And for reasons I can't fully explain, there is a lot of judgment around it. And I think, therefore, a lot of personal sensitivity around it. And, um, you know, it's a personal choice. If somebody chooses not to breastfeed, nobody else knows why they're choosing not to breastfeed. And there can be a million reasons why. Um, if somebody's unable to breastfeed and needs to have a formula, it's really nice to know that you've worked to model the formula that, that you have after breast milk to get as close to breast milk as you possibly can. Um, but because of all that judgment, you know, sometimes people hear formula and they're like, that's the F word. Yeah, and totally. uh, And just hearing you talk in the whole first half of our podcast about breast milk and how much you studied it and researched it and know about it and love it and recommend it, makes me feel like the formula that you provide is really, really modeled after that and trying to, in every way we can, bring an alternative that's as close to it as possible without it actually being breast milk.
1: No, I appreciate you saying that. Um, You know, we talk a lot in our office about that type of judgment. I mean, we're really active on social media. We we see the comments. We see the feedback that we get, um, both positive and, and let's say, <laughs> constructive. Um, <laughs> and funny. and we're we're really we're, we're sensitive to it, and we listen to it. And you know, again, um, as I mentioned, you know, at this time we're we're all women in the office. Most of us are moms. Um, we've had our own feeding journey. Uh, we have women in our office who have exclusively breastfed for four years or more. Um, two children at one time. We have women in the office who have breastfed one child and formula-fed another because of personal circumstances. Um, so I would think that, um, well, I can say authentically and firsthand that the um, understanding and the sensitivity around the topic is, is genuine. And, and again, we, we, our mission truly is to support, as you said at the at the opening, um, to empower all women, all families, men and women, moms and dads, to make the feeding choices that are right for their child based on their unique circumstances and to do it with confidence. Um, as you said, there's a lot of judgment and there's so many parts of the parenting journey that are tricky to navigate. Period, full stop, you know, yeah. at every age and stage. And... Um, As you said, it's a conversation because it's the F word that is not often being had. And I don't believe that having the conversation and encouraging breastfeeding are mutually exclusive.
0: Sure. Well, you just don't picture a senior manager at a formula company being that in love with breast milk and (laughs) promoting (laughs) breastfeeding as much as you do. So it's sort of refreshing to know that that's where you're coming from when you produce this product.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that.
0: So protein, let's start with protein.
1: So we're talking about protein in a formula. So what makes a great protein in formula? So you know, in in our estimation, it is one that is gentle and easy to digest. The proteins in breast milk form um, what I'd call a a soft and gentle curd in the tummy. So again, I, I'm going to nerd out on you for a moment. <laughs> so when you drink milk, remember I talked about those two parts of the protein: the whey and the Weigh casein. And That's right. So when you drink milk, it arrives in your stomach, and your stomach is is acidic, it's an acidic environment. So when you drink the milk and it arrives in the tummy, that casein part of the milk, it curdles. Mm -hmm. And that whey part stays liquid and it rises to the top. Mm -hmm. So you have this curd and then this liquid, this casein curd, just think C for curd, (laughs) and then liquid whey. So whey is typically considered the the easier to digest part of milk.
0: Mm.
1: And then the casein forms the curd. And so what you want, especially for a little tiny tummy, is a gentle, soft, small, and, and really loose curd. Uh, what you don't want is a large, rigid. tough, firm, rigid uh, curd. Because yeah. um, then the, the enzymes have to get to work on it and break it down.
0: So if it's hard and big, it's it's, it's hard to break down, and yeah. I have a difficult time digesting it. That's right. Can you do this with acid and milk? Just put milk and acid and <laughs> separate it.
1: I'll do this experiment in my kitchen. I'll okay. let you know. I'm not done <laughs> that, but you know, it's, you know, it's reminiscent of the nursery rhyme. You know, eating your curds and whey. Yes. So as again, ah. you know, sitting there drinking the milk and the curds and whey. No, that so was a little
0: science lesson.
1: There you go. Um, So, yeah, so it starts with uh, the protein, and in in our estimation, it's about the gentlest protein. Um, And truly, that's, you know, at this time, what we know about goat milk protein is that is gentle. It's easy to digest and easier even to digest possibly than cow milk protein. And the reason why I say that is because we have some really interesting research that shows that it's broken down faster than cow milk protein, um, we have some really, really hot new <laughs> emerging research as well that shows, and here's another fancy word, digestion kinetics. So that's a fancy way of just saying how quickly um, a protein is broken down. What we've seen is that the digestion kinetics of goat milk protein or goat milk infant formula is really comparable or similar to breast milk. Mm-hmm. So much more so than, cow milk formula or cow milk protein. So there's really encouraging um, and promising that good milk truly is a gentle protein and it's easier to digest and it's going to move through the tiny tummies uh, more readily and quicker than a cow milk-based product.
0: And is it because of the proteins?
1: Predominantly because of the proteins. I mean, I can talk about our fats in a few moments, but essentially yeah. um, starting with a gentle protein is, is going to be... Um,
0: Good foundation. Oh,
1: exactly. That's well said, yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, is the source of all the protein in Cabrita from goat?
1: It is, yes. So we start with gentle goat milk. So um, for your listeners, if they don't know, the product is manufactured in the Netherlands, so in Holland, over in Europe, and it comes from a co-op of family farms, so about 55 different farms that produce the goat milk for the product. Um, so we start with goat milk powder. Um, but remember I was, again, going back to that whey and casein. Mm -hmm. Um, Interesting to look at the ratio of whey proteins to casein proteins in different milks. That's something we didn't really cover earlier when we were talking about breast milk. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting um, to know that breast milk has more whey proteins than casein proteins. So more of those easier to digest proteins. Whereas goat milk naturally, in its natural state, has more casein proteins. Oh, really? Yeah. So what we've done in our product is we've added goat whey. So we've added more of those easier-to-digest proteins, even though goat protein on its own is to, easier to digest. The
0: casein protein from goats is easier That's to right. digest than, let's say, human casein.
1: Uh, it's easier to digest than the cow milk. Than the cow, than, than cow- casein. It contains different types of caseins. Remember, again, I was saying that there's different yeah. variations. So, the, the types of caseins that you'll find in goat milk are, in fact, different than the caseins that you'll find in cow milk.
0: The protein that's found in human milk is higher in whey. That's right. And lower in casein. That's right. The protein that's found in goat milk is higher in casein and lower in whey.
1: That's right. So as a general group, there are – and I would add that just like just like cow milk, goat milk has more casein proteins than whey proteins. Okay. But breast milk has more whey proteins. So to simulate or be modeled after breast milk, to make that ratio more similar to breast milk, our product has added the goat whey. To adapt that weight-to-casein ratio to make it even similar, more similar to breast milk. So you milk. start
0: with goat milk and then add some more white add, protein that's right. so that to the bring that ratio, ratio more is line. more like human milk. That's right. Cool. Um, are there other things about the protein in formula, about the way you make it, that make it easier to digest?
1: You know, goat milk in its own natural state, and we use the word, it's naturally easy to digest. And what we mean by that is some of the cow milk formulas, um, to make themselves easier to digest, they will do something called hydrolyze. So they'll become, they'll become smaller uh, pieces or m- more broken down. Um, that It's a processed protein to snip it into smaller bit, bits. So when you think of protein, the way I like to envision it is like a, a strand of pearls. That's mm. sort of a big protein. And to make it easier to digest, you kind of snip it into little parts. So that would be a hydrolyzed formula.
0: That you do to cow's milk.
1: That you would do to cow's milk. So you process it, hydro, which is essentially you hydrolyze it, snip it up to render it easier to digest. And, and the, you know, the nice thing with goat milk is that we don't need to do that because it's got its own sort of innate quality that makes it easy to digest.
0: Mm, beautiful. What about carbs?
1: So carbs is a pretty interesting topic when it comes to formula because, um, as we previously chatted about, you know, lactose is that primary carbohydrate in breast milk. Um, But as we know, a lot of people are a little lactose phobic. (laughs) They're Mm -hmm. a little nervous about it. Um, But in our product, it is the primary carbohydrate. In fact, it's the very first ingredient that you will see on our ingredients label. That's
0: right. From the goat milk?
1: It's an interesting question, and uh, it's something that we are asked frequently. So, in fact, we source our lactose from cow milk. But hopefully you'll recall earlier I told you that lactose is molecularly identical, regardless of source. It's such an important piece to, to know and for your listeners to really um, to hear and to understand. Um, there's no cow milk added to our product. Um, unfortunately, at this time, there's not an abundance of lactose supply from goat's milk. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not something that's readily available. So all goat milk formulas um, throughout the world, if they include lactose, which most of them do, it is all derived from cow milk.
0: I see. Mm. But but as you said, if you look at... So that's why you don't use goat goat milk lactose. There's but, just not
1: enough of it. <laughs> but if,
0: if you took a scientist with a microscope and gave him two types of lactose... Looking under the microscope, they're going to look exactly the same. Um, what are there other sources of carbohydrate in the formula?
1: Um, in our um, new and improved formula, which we will be launching very shortly, um, maybe by the time this podcast comes out, your listeners will be able to find it um, more readily. Um, right now, it's currently available through Costco.com. Oh, great! Um, one one ingredient that is on our in our Original formulation, and um, which we received a lot of feedback about, or n- numerous pieces of feedback around, was glucose syrup solids. Um, it's a relatively small part of our formulation. I would say actually quite small, and uh, we've been using it as a carrier for some of our nutrients. Again, the lactose has been our primary carbohydrate, but again, based on some of that feedback. Uh, and the perception that glucose syrup solids was a carbohydrate, um, because again, formula manufacturers don't always use lactose. If you, any of your listeners pick up a formula in any store or shelf, they might see corn syrup solids, they might see sucrose, they might see maltodextrin. Um, so again, a lot a lot of listeners I'm sure will be quite familiar with other carbohydrates that are often present in formulas. Um, but what you'll notice in our new formulation is that we've removed it all And uh, I think this will make a lot of your listeners quite happy.
0: Are you using something else to carry those nutrients now?
1: We were able to reformulate it so that we didn't uh, require a carrier for the nutrients. Okay, great. Yeah.
0: Uh, Let's talk about fats.
1: All right. So the fats, um, I mean, I was mentioning earlier that there are very specific fatty acids that are present in breast milk, and a lot of them show up in a very specific structure. And uh, in our opinion, a... Great baby formula not only is going to present those fats, but it's also going to present them in that really special structure that we talked about earlier. Um, important to know: in the United States, most, if not all, at this time, um, formula manufacturers use a plant-based oil blend to supply fats. So again. Um, the oils in our product, we receive a lot of questions about them, and, and I understand it. A lot of parents will look at the lists, uh, again, not just for our product, for other formulas, and they'll say, I don't know about those oils. I don't consume those oils myself. I'm not sure about it. But again, the, the rules that we apply for to us as adults, those food rules, eating, you know, I don't know if I want to say simple foods or just very, you know, um, easily recognizable ingredients, um, don't necessarily apply to, to formula because everything in, in a formula – Uh, serves a very specific function and a role, and is really there to meet the needs, um, the growth and development needs of that growing baby.
0: Because when it comes to fats, you're trying to model the fats that would be in breast milk. That's right. But are those fats not in goat milk?
1: There are some really wonderful fats that are present in goat milk, absolutely. Um, Goat milk has a a lot of wonderful fats. It's got um, both short and medium chain um, fats, which are really valuable. Uh, It's important for people to know that in North America or in the. US specifically the protein that's used whether it's cow or in the case of cabrita goat it is a non-fat dairy base so it's a non-fat goat milk powder that we use um, which is very similar to what you would see with cow milk formulas they would be non-fat cow milk formula based uh, with all the fats being supplied with those plant-based oils
0: so you take out the goat milk fat mm-hmm. why is that
1: that's a really good question and um, you know, probably the simplest answer to that is that even though the fats in goat milk are are um, healthy and and great and and have a lot of great features, um, they're not the same as the fats in breast milk. They're just not um, exactly modeled after the, the type of fats that we find in breast milk. So I think that's a really simple answer. Um, even if we were going to use the fats, we'd have to add other plant based um, oils to you know top it up, for lack of a better word, to to mimic. That profile that we find in breast milk. Um, but I think that the second and, and really truly more practical consideration is that um, fat and formula um, potentially leads to um, a decreased shelf life. And there is truly just a, a reality when you're producing um, a commercially prepared formula that you want and need to sit on a shelf and, and be distributed throughout a country. <laughs> so um you there's mean sort of the pre-
0: animal fat decreases the shelf life.
1: That's right. There's a higher potential for it going rancid, mm-hmm. um, you know, smelling off, decreasing quality, et cetera. So, um, I think that there's always practical considerations. Never mind regulatory considerations,
0: and there's a lot of regulation when it comes to formula from the FDA
1: there is. there is. It's um truly, um you know, the way it's always been, Uh, Described to me by by our regulatory team is it is truly the most regulated and safe food, safest food out there. Um, Yes, everything from what ingredients are permitted to be used to the forms that are used to the amounts of individual nutrients uh, is all tightly regulated. Never mind um, the standards of the facilities um, to produce the food um, or the formula rather, uh, along with the absolutely critical requirement of having a clinical trial demonstrating that babies grow and develop adequately and safely on your pr- formula before it can be launched For in the U.S. market. For each product
0: that you make.
1: For every infant formula that's on the U.S. market, a clinical trial must be performed um, again, there's. So this
0: formula is used in other countries. Um, can you take clinical trials from there and just submit them here or you have to do all new trials? So what's
1: really interesting is that the requirement to do a clinical trial is um, – I mean, I won't make the statement that it is completely unique to the U.S. because there's other countries like Canada and some other countries where it's also um, a requirement. But uh, there's many, many countries in the world where you do not need to do a clinical trial. Oh, so there's many formulas that are being sold in other countries um that that have not no clinical trials no absolutely not oh. absolutely not it's a really you i would almost say almost a bit of a unique feature of the fda it's really one of their really important sort of rigor and sort of like checks <laughs> to make sure that the formula is truly safe for i have
0: some questions about cabrita specifically all right shoot. Um, <laughs> both from our patients and also from social media but um just before we get to that, we, we talked about all the macronutrients in the formula, the proteins, the carbs, and the fats. Um, but there's also two other categories in breast milk. You said there's the micronutrients, which are the vitamins and the minerals, and then there are those like specific things that, that mothers make for their babies. Um, how do you go about including those in the right amounts in, in formula?
1: So when it comes to the micronutrients, um, and I guess this ties back a little bit to the the FDA, you know, and what I was saying earlier about regulatory is um, all those micronutrients, those vitamins and minerals, um, as I said, the form and the amount is really informed by the FDA. So they have ranges, they have Minimum amounts and upper limits and, and all formula makers and, and products must stay within that band. So it's really clear. Everyone knows how much they have to have. Um, and everyone has to have a certain amount per 100 kilocalories of their product.
0: What about the sources for them?
1: Yeah. They they also stipulate exactly what forms. So they tell you what form of a nutrient you have to use. And again, these, these forms have been used in clinical trials. So they've got demonstrated safety. Uh, They also have demonstrated shelf life. Again, it goes back to that practical consideration.
0: Sure. Um, So then it doesn't matter for those, it doesn't matter what, what brand or what source, whether it's cow milk, goat milk, or some other animal milk. Everybody is pretty much using the same vitamins and minerals.
1: That's right. If you if your listeners go in and start combing through different ingredients lists, what they'll find is that the ingredients are – and when it comes to the micronutrients, they're, they're really quite similar.
0: Awesome. All right. Uh, let's get to some of these questions and then maybe we'll look at the very end at, at the list of ingredients uh, on, on the Cabrita formula and see if there's any decoding left. I think you explained most of it already.
1: I hope so. But, yeah, that would be great.
0: Uh, so the first question we got was about the lactose, but it doesn't specify whether it's goat milk or not. Um, you said now that the lactose comes from cow milk, and it's just lactose. And the reason for that is because there's not enough goat milk lactose to make formula in quantity. That's right. <laughs>
1: there's a, a fairly large lactose-free cow milk industry, so um, there's lactose to be found from derived from cow milk. Yeah, but uh, again, but it, I think the key there point there is no
0: actual cow milk. That's right in the goat milk formula.
1: That's the critical piece for listeners to to know and to understand, and again, also to to really um, appreciate. Hopefully, the, the value of lactose for their little one and how, why it's so important for little ones. So it's really something that we believe for for healthy children. Um, you know, it's it's a really important part of, of a of a formula.
0: Uh, our second question is about goat milk powder. And whey protein being listed as the third and fourth ingredient after vegetable oils. So are, is there more fat than protein?
1: Um, so I'm, I'm assuming that your patient was looking at our Costco label, um, which is, in fact, our new formulation. Oh, okay. And it uh, will look a little bit different. We've just changed the label ever so slightly. And... Um, It really depends, I'll be honest, if you consider our plant-based oils as a group ingredient or individually. And so what um, your listeners will find is that uh, it's exactly the same ingredients. Uh, The order is ever so slightly different um, between what they'll find, for example, at Costco.com and what they'll start to find in the next four or five weeks throughout the U.S. It's the same product, though, and essentially our very first ingredient is lactose. Our second ingredient is goat milk powder, followed by goat whey, followed by our fat blend.
0: Got it. Um, it's also kind of interesting to note when you – I've been trained, like when you read the list of ingredients and in something, you assume there's a ton of the stuff that's the first ingredient and then less of the second, a lot less of the third. Mm-hmm. But you're saying there, there's – for some of these, they're so close, the amounts that They're virtually similar.
1: That's right. That's right. I mean, certainly uh, our product is not all lactose (laughs) at all, but uh, it is, you know, just as you would expect in sort of descending order, but a little less dramatic.
0: Uh, You already addressed this question, which was about the glucose syrup. Um, You had been using it as a carrier for other nutrients, and now it's reformulated so you don't need the glucose syrup and it won't be present anymore down the road.
1: That's correct. You know, I, I think I'll probably toss out one of our core values here just because I think it's something that we're all at Caprita really proud about. And one of those core values is continuous improvement. So, you know, what that means for us is that we listen to feedback and we're responsive to feedback. And so what we've heard um, is concerns around it. And we had the opportunity to iterate on our product and make some changes. And so we did.
0: I don't think there's ever a time where it's more appropriate to say you (laughs) reformulated.
1: I think that's perfect. This is
0: it. Our next question is about the um, DHA, and uh, the listener wrote in, why not use the original source of DHA, vegan marine algae, rather than fish, which can have mercury and other toxins in it?
1: Yep. So in... Um, What's you know,
0: DHA? Let's start there.
1: DHA. Oh, well, I don't think I'll say what DHA stands for. It's an acronym for a very long fatty acid. Oh, so it's a fatty acid. <laughs> but folks can look it up if they want the full name for it. Um, as I was mentioning earlier, it's one of those really important fats derived from those um, cold water fish. It's smash. really great. Smash, exactly. And it's great for brain development, okay. neurological development. So it's something um, you know we believe and a lot of studies have been supporting um, its use uh, in uh, both you know, baby um, baby formulas and how most young children are just not getting what they need through diet. And if mom was breastfeeding, if mom's not getting enough through diet, then if mom was breastfeeding, she's not passing on adequate enough. amounts to baby. Mm-hmm.
0: So the question here is, wait, did you answer?
1: I didn't answer. Yeah, no, okay. I didn't answer that question. I answered what DHA was. Um, but it's good for your listener to know that the form of DHA that we use in the U.S. product is, in fact, derived from algae. So it's algae DHA. Oh, it is. It's possible that your listener or your patient, rather, was looking at our Europe site. Mm-hmm. And um, in other markets, Cabrita does use different forms of DHA uh, and, in fact, derived from fish. Mm-hmm. Um, good to know, though, that really high standards of our company uh, include testing all the products before they go into the factory and after they leave for contaminants like heavy metals, like uh-huh. mercury. Um for other uh, – for um, pathogens, so things that can make the baby sick, um, et cetera. So um, heavy metals obviously is a big one. I'm pretty sure
0: that listener is from France.
1: Oh, interesting. So
0: she's actually in Europe.
1: That's really interesting. But, uh,
0: you, you figured her out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> amazing you have listeners in France. That's we do great. have
0: listeners in France. Uh, okay, let's talk about the folic acid. Uh, two people wrote in about mm-hmm. folic acid. One wondering why folic acid instead of folate, and the other one about why the synthetic form of folic acid, and specifically in relation to the MTHFR gene mutation, which I think that question requires a little bit of explanation, and then what's the answer?
1: Sure. All right. So you'll, you'll stop me if it gets too, too nerdy, Tuberny, okay? Too yeah. Too smashy? <laughs> too smashy. So um, folate is a nutrient. It's a vitamin, and it's found naturally in leafy greens, It's really important for the body. It's important for cell health, and it's a really critical part of development. So it's something that we all need. Okay. Folic acid is considered, what is what they call a synthetic form of folate. And uh, it is the form that is approved by the FDA for use in infant formula. It has strong shelf stability. It's readily, it's bioavailable. And um it's been used in many infant trial in infant clinical trials, so it's demonstrated that babies have grown using the, that folic acid. That when you form.
0: say bioavailable I mean we can easily absorb it. That's exactly right. Okay.
1: Right. Exactly. So there's been growing concern among a um vocal group of um I don't want to say consumers or families, um that because of Uh, genetic variant that they have, that they have a diminished ability or for some people uh, an inability to convert the folic acid to its activated form. Uh,
0: So people who have this genetic mutation may not be able to take synthetic folic acid and convert it into th- the form that's needed to do what we want fol- folate to do. That's correct.
1: Yeah, that's a really that's a perfect summary of it. So, um, it's, and that
0: mutation is in the MTHFR.
1: That's right. In the gene. In the in the enzyme that does the conversion. I got it. Um, pe- people are getting the genetic testing done. Through- you need
0: a rabbi. <laughs> he can do the conversion.
1: He can do the conversion. Yeah. <laughs> so they can. Um, people are going to their physicians, um, and they're getting these tests, and they're finding this 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 uh, piece of information out. So it is it is absolutely uh, something that we've heard from our consumers. It's um, again, I'll just be really personal here and say that it's something we talk about in the office. Um, one of our colleagues um, has the um, has known, knows that she has this uh, genetic. Um, they call polymorphism. So this genetic change and her ability to change folic acid to folate is diminished. So again, it's something that we bring a pretty authentic sensitivity to. Wow.
0: Um,
1: but again, I, I just want to re- remind everyone what we talked about earlier, which is that you know when you're making an infant formula or a baby formula, you want to combine the best of nature with the rigor and science. So we hear it, we value the feedback. It's something that we would consider and look at. But at the, at this moment, the activated form of folate, so the methyl tetrahydrofolate, is not grass. So that's generally recognized as safe
0: mm-hmm. by the
1: FDA for use in infant formula. So right now you
0: couldn't, even if you wanted to, you would have to first prove. You would probably have to do a clinical trial.
1: We'd have to do two things. You'd have to first submit a grass notification. You'd have to have it certified as grass, okay. And then you would have to do a clinical trial, which can take upwards of four years and $4 million, showing that babies grow and develop safely. And with, with all, this all that form. in mind,
0: you're still considering it.
1: <laughs> I would say that with all that in mind, we are committed to continuing to bring the best products and we want to do it safely and mindfully. Mm-hmm. And so um, folic acid or if Fol- folate as a as a sort of nutrient category is critical. It must be provided. The FDA says every formula must contain a certain amount. It's a it's a necessary ingredient. You can't just not have it. Um, so, but it's something just like with all of our ingredients, we're committed to continuing to look at and revisit, um, and doing it safely.
0: Next question that we have is about a comparison between goat milk and donkey milk.
1: <laughs> I saw that question. <laughs>
0: And I'm, I'm not aware of any donkey milk formulas, or are there? Is I there am any? not aware of okay. any donkey
1: milk's formulas. Um, you know, I think that, you know, as I said from the very beginning, we're interested in bringing a safe formula that is modeled after key attributes in breast milk. At this time, what we know about goat milk is pretty compelling. Um, at this time, the company... Our company is able to bring a really high quality formula um, that not just sort of has this wonderful, easy to digest protein, but these other attributes that are modeled after the gold, after the gold standard. I personally am not a donkey milk expert, <laughs> mm-hmm. and you know, always open to learning more about it. Um, You'd
0: need 55 donkey farms. <laughs> I didn't need <laughs> at least a co op of 55 and I don't farms. even know how to say uh, baby donkey uh, in Spanish. Which I found out is what Cabrita means. <laughs> Baby, Baby goat. Baby uh, goat. Here's a question that everybody wants to know. Currently, at the time of this recording, uh, Cabrita has toddler formula available in the U.S. market, but not yet infant formula.
1: Yep, that's that's correct. So we launched um, in the late fall of 2014 nationwide. And I'm so pleased to say, you know, it's been moving so nicely along, growing really nicely ever since. Um we are going through all those steps that I've talked about. So all of the ingredients are grass, so recognized by the FDA as safe for infants. Um, we've done protein efficiency ratio studies. We're having our facility audited by the FDA, which is another big important step before you can launch infant formula, where we've done shelf life studies. That, again, goes back to the practical implications of using new types of ingredients Is it going to be able to be on a shelf for two years? Mm -hmm. And is what is in the tin, what is on the label? Mm -hmm. that's a really big issue um, with foods in general. And uh, again, hugely important when it comes to infant formula. And then last but obviously not least, um, that clinical trial that is a prerequisite before you can launch infant formula is something we've been going through. Um, we're really excited and Is very there optimistic. A sense
0: for how much longer?
1: Yep, yep. So we definitely are moving along. We uh, will be submitting everything to the FDA in 2018. Um, the FDA has their own process, so once you complete your trial and have all of your information, you share it with them, and then it's in their hands. I see. And then they will let you know when
0: you can. Is there watch. a big difference in the formulation between what goes into infant formula versus toddler formula?
1: Um. The short answer for Cabrita is, and the really simple answer is no. You know, our toddler formula meets FDA infant formula guidelines when it comes to nutrients. Our toddler formula is manufactured in an infant formula manufacturing facility. And um, our, our toddler formula um, is modeled after those attributes in breast milk. So again, I can't really speak to other companies' toddler milks, um, but I can tell you a little bit. About the quality Cabrita of Cabrita.
0: is is very similar
1: yes, it is
0: at what point does a child no longer need to supplement with formula if the household doesn't use an alternative?
1: I'm always reluctant to give sort of a, a pat answer for these questions because I think that um, or at least I believe <laughs> that every circumstance is unique, every child's unique every every child and family's nutritional needs are unique so in my opinion, many toddlers don't have a a really robust diet until beyond two years of age. Um, We know that upwards of 15% of toddlers are deficient in iron. Mm. We know a lot of them are not getting adequate vitamin D. So, you know, I encourage parents to work with their health professional to figure out what the needs of their child is. And, you know, you might have a picky eater. You might have a child with an underlying medical condition. Um, so I think that extending formula use beyond one year, um, is something we hear a lot from our, from our families that they're doing and, um, and they feel like it's a safety net and they feel like it's sort of like a multivitamin for their little one. It's protein, it's, you know, it's like protein and some, you know, and some vitamins and minerals, you know, we as adults do it, Mm -hmm. um, and and don't think too much about it, but
0: toddler smoothie,
1: it's a toddler smoothie, it's a Mm -hmm. taller, toddler multivitamin. I like to think.
0: Uh, okay, a couple more questions. Is there corn syrup in the Cabrita formula?
1: No, there's not. Um, as we as we chatted about, there was that really small amount of glucose syrup solids that was acting as the carrier, but uh-huh. that's been removed in the new formulation. Okay,
0: so no corn syrup, no glucose solids. That's correct. Um, Yay. I have a question that I don't fully understand, but um, I understand there's this little formula device called the Baby Brezza. Mm-hmm. And um, the formula setting guide doesn't talk about Cabrita. So if somebody has a baby Brezza, uh, what setting would they use for Cabrita?
1: Sure. So if they have a machine that has a measuring wheel, um, they should use the setting number one. Okay. Um, But if they have some inserts, Mm -hmm. then the manufacturer has requested that they call their customer service, and then they can guide them through what setting it is.
0: Okay. There you go. So if you have that baby Brezza… Now, you know, Uh, Okay, I do have one more question from a listener and then a little bit of a conclusion question for myself. Uh, The question from the listener is, what about just buying raw goat milk and making your own formula at home?
1: Yeah, that's a big one. Um, that's the, a big one. It could end be on its own on. separate podcast. Homemade baby formula. Well, I
0: sure hope you're going to come back and talk I would more.
1: Love that. So that I think that's a. If you don't mind, I'm going to take that as a two-part question. Okay. So the first is around raw goat's milk, and the second is sort of about making your own formula. Fair so you know, I I'm a, a big, uh, I'm very much in agreement with the AAP and the FDA's position on the consumption of raw milk, um, which is that they discourage it with With infants and young children, as they do discourage it in pregnancy, just it's the the risk outweighs the benefit. Um, babies could get sick, et cetera. So, um when it comes to raw dairy with the most vulnerable population, literally newborn babies, um it's not something I personally recommend, ok.
0: Uh,
1: when it comes to homemade formula, um again, it's it's something that, you know, I have to assume that, uh, a family would be looking at commercially available options and feeling like it wasn't meeting their needs, so would want to make it on their own. Um, my concerns with homemade formula are, are several fold. Um, you know The first is that there's a lot of different um, recipes floating around online. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's not a lot of there's no oversight or regulation. It's sort of you know, you have to feel confident in the source that you're getting it from or the peer network that you're receiving the recipe from. And then so I guess that the two major concerns that I have with it is um, the ingredients that are being used. And so if you are choosing to make homemade baby formula and your recipe, for example, calls for molasses or yeast flakes or cod liver oil. Um,
0: That's mostly what's in my pantry anyway. <laughs> well,
1: yeah. then you're, you're all ready to go yeah, then. My cod liver
0: oil cookies. <laughs>
1: um, then, you know. We talked a little bit earlier about the regulatory side Mm -hmm. and the rigor and the testing. So those rules are not being applied to those foods. So even if you're using those two teaspoons of cod liver oil that you've been told in your recipe to use.
0: What's the source?
1: Is that cod liver oil free of heavy metals? Is Mm -hmm. it free of contaminants? Does it have any harmful pathogens that can make your baby sick? Does it have the fats that you think it has? Have they done third party testing? Um, what's the shelf life of that cod liver oil? Was it may- maybe this cod liver is a bad example? Maybe molasses is a better one. Mm-hmm. How long has it been sitting on the shelf? What nutrients does it still have in it? Is anyone testing it to make sure what's in the bottle is what's on the label? Right. Um, so I think those are my biggest concerns: the 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 safety of the ingredients, um, certainly the nutritional profile of the finished product. Is it right for the baby? Um, and then of course just you know the, the the risk around you know the baby getting sick.
0: Mm-hmm. Those are great answers to great questions. And I would just say, if you're listening at home, follow us on Facebook because we always post a, a little post on informed pregnancy before we do a podcast. And if you have questions, we'll, we'll ask our guests. What I want to close up on is uh, you know, I think a lot of times when people switch to goat milk formula, it's because their baby was having symptoms on cow milk formula. And how do you know if your child's doing well on a particular formula? And then how do you go about switching? Do you just switch overnight or is there a process?
1: I mean, I think deciding to make the switch, um, you know, I think a lot of parents intuitively know when their little one is thriving. You know, I know my, my kids are older now, but, you you know, whether it's, you know, what they're eating or what school they go to or, you know, what kind of sleep they have. You kind of know if it's right for them. I think um, when it comes to figuring out if it's the formula that's at the root cause of what's, you know, um, I don't want to say ailing your baby, but if your little one has tummy troubles or skin troubles and you wonder is it the the formula, you know, I think a lot of parents do a lot of thinking about it and and trying to look at the connection between the diet and the symptoms. But eventually I think they they get there and they decide to try something new. So um, we have many many consumers, many Cabrita moms and dads who use us as a first choice. But we also know that we have many um, in our community that change to Cabrita because, like you said, whatever they were using wasn't working for them. So I would say most people do a slow switch. Definitely some people do the overnight switch. They're fed up. They want to just try something new. Um, And in my, you know, uh, in my opinion, there's nothing harmful about that. But we do know that a gradual switch um, for most babies is, is not just better tolerated, but, I mean, it's also better received, right? It's a new milk. It's, an, it's something different. Uh, we typically encourage uh, what we call like a five-day transition. Mm-hmm. So what that would involve would be, let's say you were giving, you know, four ounces of formula. What we would encourage you to do is take one of those ounces, and, add, and that would be Cabrita, and the three ounces would be your usual formula. And then you would sort of generally, or gradually rather, over a few days sort of
0: Get to half change that ounce.
1: rate, exactly, go to two ounces and two ounces, and then swap it out. You'd be at three, three ounces with Cabrita, one ounces, and then you'd slowly switch over. A- and again, this this could be with another formula. This could even be with breast milk if, mm-hmm. if, if mom was still breastfeeding so uh, and, and was wanting to supplement and or wean.
0: Is there anything I left out?
1: I don't think so. This is pretty. We a pretty
0: extensive talk, and I learned a lot. I'm glad. I learned a lot about just nutrition in general, but also uh, what's in breast milk and what what goes into making a formula. It's not that simple, and I'm I'm really delighted about Cabrita because for years before there was Cabrita in the U.S., um, really all people could do was make their own goat milk formula. Where can we find out more about Cabrita online?
1: I would encourage everyone to check out our website. It is, in my humble opinion, a wealth of information. <laughs> Everything you ever wanted to know about nutrition and formula and goat protein, et cetera. So that is at CabritaUSA.com. Uh, we're also active on Facebook at Hello Cabrita and on Instagram at Hello Cabrita Hello, as Cabrita. well. Hello Cabrita. Yeah. Come say hi.
0: Annie, thank you so much for being here. I really, I learned a lot. I know that our audience has learned a lot. And... Um, you know, if I was having another kid, I think we use formula—my wife breastfed all of our babies, but we use formula at various points. Um, sometimes if she was sick and taking medication and um, needed to pump and dump, then if we weren't able to have frozen breast milk, we would go straight to formula. And sometimes just for convenience when we're traveling. And certainly as the kids got older and we we're using not exclusive breast milk or formula anymore, uh, it would have been great to have Cabrita so I'm glad you're here now Thank I look you. forward to hopefully the FDA working quickly
1: <laughs> my hope as well
0: through the process so we get infant formula very soon at home thanks for listening to the informed pregnancy podcast we loved your feedback rate us and comment on your local podcast app or drop us an email at info at I got a whole lot of questions for you. This kid's gonna test my will. I got a lot to learn and my baby's do <laughs>